This is the Scott Thompson Show podcast. Let's head down to Washington and find out exactly what the buzz is in Washington the day before this freak show. Uh, Reggie Cicchini is with us, Washington producer with Global News based in Washington and is with us now. Hello, Reggie. How are you doing today? I'm doing well, Scott. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time to join us. I know you guys are busy down there. So what is the buzz like in Washington today and over the course of this weekend? You know what? The buzz in Washington, at least, is probably more active inside of a newsroom than it is out on the street. Everybody milling around doing what they normally do, but it's the TV. It's uh, in uh, newsrooms for TVs and radio stations that this is where all the activity is. This is where everybody's been brought in from around the world. How is everybody feeling? Is it tense? Is it, I mean, this nobody ever thought this would ever go this far. So, uh, is anybody willing to even predict this? No, this is one of those first elections that I've ever actually covered on either side of the border where everyone is afraid to make their judgment and kind of put it out on the center of the table, fearing that if they're right, they're going to get, you know, slack for it. And if they're wrong, then they're going to get made fun of for it. Well, just look what's happening with the FBI. Uh, Prior to the weekend, of course, it was all about emails, emails, emails. And now uh, over the course of the weekend, FBI said, nope, nothing here. Move along. Uh, How is that playing down there? Well, it depends on which side of the campaign you're looking at. If it's Hillary Clinton you're talking about, she's all but ignoring the fact that the FBI came out with this letter yesterday, almost exonerating her from the earlier issues that they were looking into. She's simply focused on getting out uh, and uh, calling people to come out and vote. Donald Trump, on the other hand, is looking at this and saying, well, something is wrong here. If the FBI were looking into it, they couldn't have wrapped it up this quickly, and uh, we need to find out what's actually going on here. So, I mean, it's two different tales from both sides. Uh, it, it, so, in Donald's mind, is it are we back to it being rigged, or is it not rigged? I wasn't sure. I'm not keeping up score here. So, it's rigged. It's not rigged. I guess now it is rigged again. Well, I mean, Donald Trump's campaign will say that it's rigged because something is going, you know, right for the opposite side of the campaign election or for the election campaign. Uh, he's actually been quiet over the last couple of days. You'll notice he hasn't uh, been tweeting. His yeah. campaign has taken Twitter away from him, so he's a little more subdued. He's a little more tame. Reggie, that sounds Reggie, that sounds like you know, I've just taken my device away from my nine-year-old. Well, I mean, it's it's what you have to do. It's, if, if somebody's out there and they're saying things that they shouldn't, all of a sudden you're like, uh oh. These last couple of minutes matter. So uh, what does that say, the fact that he is kind of playing it straight all the way to the end? Does Does that say that he thinks he has a better chance than most? I think if you ask the Donald Trump campaign if they have a good chance, of course they're going to say yeah, yes. Yeah. Uh, it depends on what state you look at. I mean, they're making some stops that nobody thought that they would be making even last week because they're trying to either draw in support from outside of their base that hasn't really grown, or they're trying to take advantage of the fact that the FBI came back in the news again. Donald Trump can find a way to spin it and try to grab some of those voters that would go for Hillary Clinton. Why don't you think Hillary's uh, touching on that? Because, in, you know, it's obviously good news for her because they've basically said nothing here. Let's move along. Why isn't she saying something about it as opposed to just sticking to message? I think because when it's this late into the game, Hillary Clinton is really focused on a couple of battleground states, and she wants to make sure that she doesn't bring a cloud with her. If it's gone, she doesn't have to talk about it, and she can actually go out there and pitch her policy as opposed to having to say, this is what was said, try to ignore that now and listen to what I have to say. How concerned are those in Washington and around the, you know, obviously being in Washington, you guys are kind of uh, in your own little world there. That's 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 ground zero. Uh, but are, are many concerned about after the election, no matter what the result is, and let's be specific, if Donald ends up losing, um, is anybody concerned about a revolt? How important is what he says after the election um, to, to, to peace in the valley? 
Well, I mean, it depends on, 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 on what actually happens. If Donald Trump doesn't win, of course there's fear out there that there's going to be, you know, revolt from his followers or that there's going to be some kind of retaliation. I don't really think that that's actually going to be the case. I mean, you're going to get people that, that, that say that they're not going to accept the results regardless. So, you know, at the most, there may be people out there that, you know, really try to rally together and try to, to uh, dispute the results and take these to court. But I really don't think that the day after the election that things are going to be, you know, this big dire situation that some people may think that it could be. What does it say that the fact that this far in and, you know, obviously uh, hours away before Election Day, what does it say that the fact that these two parties are so close? It's interesting because, I mean, originally, if you had thought about this 15 months ago, nobody would have thought that it was a Hillary Clinton-Donald Trump matchup. Yeah. Everyone was thinking it would have been a Hillary Clinton-Jeb Bush or, you know, maybe a Hillary Clinton-somebody else from that group. At this point, you have two people who are unliked equally on both sides. So people are out there, you know, voting almost protest votes or they're voting kind of, well, I feel maybe I shouldn't vote for this, but I should vote for this. The enthusiasm isn't there. And that's why you're seeing, despite the fact that you're seeing, you know, 46 million plus votes have already been cast, which is huge compared to 2012. The enthusiasm isn't there, and that's what each campaign is having a hard time trying to grasp. You know, it's interesting you say that, Reggie, and this might be a Canada-U.S. thing, but usually if people hate either candidate and nobody's really excited about anything, it, it translates to lower uh, votes, lower people turning out for polls. Uh, obviously, with uh, uh, advanced polls and such, it, this is proving to be opposite. Does that signal that there will be a lot of people voting in this election and, it, you know, it won't be a, a poor turnout? How do you explain that, you know, you're not really into it, but you're still going to go out and vote? It depends on where you're looking in the country. If you're looking at certain, you know, the parts of the southwestern U.S., there's a huge insurgence of the Latin American vote that's been out there that wasn't really uh, a pointed figure back in 2012, where on the east part of the country, the African-American vote that came out for Barack Obama, they appear to be less enthused. And that, you know, is signaling that there could be a shift in dynamic here. I mean, it's there are so many polls and so many numbers kind of flipped all over the place right now. It's really going to be interesting to see what happens at the end of uh, ballot casting tomorrow as to where the shift actually ends up. Yeah, I think people are as interested in the day after as they are the day before in this scenario, which seems bizarre, doesn't it? Well, it, it does, because usually at this point in the game, you'd have a clear indication as to who's going to win. I mean, if you look at 2012, Barack Obama swept this with 332 electoral votes. This time around, it's kind of, you know, some polls put Hillary Clinton grabbing this at 300 plus some of them have her winning at you know three or four plus everyone is kind of on on eggshells until tomorrow night uh getting back to the fbi and what's happened with that in the last uh, 24 to 72 hours how does the fbi explain that oops all of a sudden we have something and as donald said how can you browse over 650,000 emails in, in in a week uh, how do they justify this how do they justify coming out now and saying what they said that there's nothing here this is a really tricky situation. I mean, FBI Director Jim Comey, he, he put himself out on the line when he originally put that letter out saying, sorry, we may have more things that we need to look at right now, which had both sides kind of frantically trying to figure out their position. And then for him to come back out again and say, well, we looked through everything and there's nothing there. It very well could have been he was trying to save face, because if you think about it, if he had information and held on to it until after the election, you'd get one side coming after him saying that he rigged it. If you have him coming out saying, we have information, but we can't talk about it, you have the other side coming after him. So he was kind yeah. of in a no-win situation here. 
So uh, what is each doing today? What, 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 are, what is each candidate doing today? Are they handling uh, this the same way? What's different today? Uh, we have uh, battleground states are the main thing today. So you have Donald Trump holding rallies in five states, I believe. He's in North Carolina. He's in Pennsylvania. He's in Michigan, which is a big uh, state right now. That was a state that went for Barack Obama that kind of is tilting right now where we're not sure where it's going to go. Hillary Clinton, uh, I believe she's in three states tonight. She's making two visits to Pennsylvania. Tonight is the big uh, event for her in Philadelphia. She has uh, the Obamas with her. She has Bruce Springsteen. She has Bon Jovi. She's really trying to get out the, uh, wow. the, the star power to grab as much attention as she can, just like she did over the weekend when she went out on stage with Jay-Z and Beyonce, yeah. that trying to rally up the millennial vote. So... Uh, it, it, as as the results come in and we all and guys like you and me sit around and watch this stuff, what do you think the predictions will be like, uh, especially with the U.S. And, and their news organizations down there? Very, very competitive. And especially we, we've seen this with our elections up here as well. It doesn't take long for somebody to start predicting things or predicting trends or predicting a winner. Do you think we'll see that uh, tomorrow or do you think people are going to sort of sit back before they declare anything? I'm, I'm going to have to say on this one that if, if there's a call made, it's going to be later than it normally would. There's a couple of those battleground states right now, like Michigan and like Florida, where it's teetering on either side so closely that, you know, the end, at the end result, you know, you may sit there and go, we have all the results except Florida. We can't call it because we don't know where it's going to go. Think 2000 when we couldn't figure it out with Florida, with, uh, with Bush and with, um, with, uh, with Gore. So we end up with... Nobody really knowing what's going to happen unless there ends up being a really big swing, like all of a sudden Donald Trump flips one of these blue states, which yeah. is what he needs to do to win. Then somebody may be able to make a call. Uh, do you think uh, and let's just presume that uh, what we're hearing and that is, well, a, a news report we were playing earlier today that Donald Trump has to pretty much uh, run the table in order to to, to make this uh, a win for him and his team. Uh, say then uh, that that is true, and that's the way this plays out tomorrow and 24 hours from now. Uh, do you think Donald Trump will take the high road or and just say, hey, it was a great this, it was a great that, and I, congratulations to the other team? Or do you think he will, as he said during the debate, leave America uh, you know, suspecting what's going on in suspended animation over whether he accepts this or, or whether we should pick up arms? If he doesn't win? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's it'll be a big deal if he decides to not accept the, the will of the population of the United States. There's going to be a lot of questions and a lot of fingers pointing saying, what are you actually doing? There's no real point to him saying, I don't agree with the vote. If he happens to win, I'm sure he'll be gracious and mm -hmm. he'll be excited. If he doesn't win, I, I have a hard time believing that he's actually going to leave America kind of swinging like a pendulum, waiting for it to kind of settle down. And how does the Republican Party play off of that? Or, or how much influence do they have over that? Over, uh, over, over what decision. he would say. Yeah, I mean, you know, Donald, let's not leave this as a, as a bow untied. You've got to finish this off and you've got to do it respectfully. You can't leave the podium by saying, oh, I'm not accepting this. And you take the Second Amendment into your own hands and do whatever you want. You know what I mean? I mean, I, he, he, you know, you, you want you want more uh, security in, in knowing that he is behind the result. I think that, you know, if he ends up losing and, and it's by a margin that everyone can agree on was, you know, fairly reached, I, I'm quite convinced that the Republican Party will line up behind him and say, look, this is what you need to do. This is how you need to graciously do this. And look, four years from now, now you know how this happens. You could try to swing it your way. 
What do you think other Republicans are thinking right now? I mean, uh, are they looking ahead to rebuilding this party or are uh, they keeping quiet until who knows? Maybe they do get lucky really depends on who you're talking to, because, I mean, down ballot, you have Republicans that are really t- sitting there thinking, oh, man, I aligned myself with him. How do I kind of keep my own seat based on what he's been doing? But then on the flip side, you have top GOP Republican, uh, top GOP analysts who are saying we've we're we're uh, we're kind of a broken party right now. I don't think we're going to win this and we need to f- reorganize ourselves and kind of figure out four years from now can we win or are we still going to be picking up the pieces from what happens tomorrow? These last 24 hours, how important are they to the candidates? I mean, they're all pretty much doing the same thing, although obviously uh, Donald's been, you know, had taken his device, had his device taken away from him. But other than that, is it pretty much standard fare for the next 24 hours for them? In, in a regular campaign, it would be. In this one, they're really out there still trying to get out the vote. They're trying to tell people that you need to get out there and you need to vote for me. There's a lot of swing states right now that could make or break this election for either of the candidates right now. And Donald Trump is visiting states like Minnesota, like Michigan, like Pennsylvania, because he needs to flip them in order to get up that really steep hill. So today... Well, it should be, you know, the last day of let's kind of wind this down. It's the last day, but let's ramp this up because we need to get people out there. They're in states right now that didn't have early voting. So, if you know, if, if he's in Michigan right now, everybody is voting tomorrow and he needs to make sure that they're coming out for him. Well, get lots of sleep tonight, Reggie. You guys are going to need it. Uh, Reg Cicchini's been with us. Uh, Global News Washington. And, of course, make sure you're watching Global News tonight and tomorrow and as this whole thing unfolds in front of us. Thank you very much, Reggie. Appreciate it. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right. It is, uh, it's it's coming to a head. And, and, again, it's like we're waiting for New Year's Eve. Is it New Year's Eve or Armageddon? It's like, I can't wait to watch the Survivor finale tonight. Oh, no, it's real life with real life consequences. And, of course, we're talking about the U.S. presidential election. Uh, Let's bring in Elliot Tepper. He is a professor of political science, Carleton University, and is with us now. Hello, Elliot. How are you today? I'm fine. I enjoyed your lead-in. Elliot, have you ever seen anything like this in your life, in your studies? What would you ever compare this to, or will this be a lesson for years to come? I've been watching elections. Uh, I, I guess I was a born election junkie or political junkie. So I've been following, and I follow elections around the world, but obviously the U.S. is so big and prominent. I've never seen anything like this uh, in either the tone or the implications. Uh, there's a lot of talk this is historic, and it most certainly is. I mean, who gets elected is always important. But given the nature of these two candidates, and the totally different visions and capacities they bring to the office, the choice is certainly extremely stark. What, <laughs> what's the difference between a typical election and this one? What is it missing? What does it have? The other, how did we and how did well, we look get at here? The last three, including this one, the last two were between President Obama and two very worthy opponents who spoke in uh, different terms of policy. They they clearly differed, but. You know, they were honorable people all through, and, you know, Sarah Palin certainly was uh, introduced uh, into that race and was kind of a wild card and opened up a lot of other things that we're now seeing come into this race as well. So this race is, because Donald Trump is such a totally different figure than any other normal politician, uh, it, it's, and there's an X factor which nobody's put their finger on. Uh, in terms of Donald Trump, in terms of his appeal, we can talk about the usual things, but 
is always something else, maybe reality star. So it's a there's a there's a topsy turvy in this, and when you have two candidates who have high unfavorabilities, you also have volatility introduced. So we've had extreme swings in the polls. Uh, I've never seen anything like uh, a t- what, a 12-point drop. Mm. She was up 12 points and heading toward uh, gliding toward the final phase, clean sweep, etc. And suddenly the FBI intervenes in the election, and she goes down to a one-point lead, and then he goes up a point, and etc. So the, the volatility of the race is also untypical. You brought up a valid point. What role, uh, maybe not role, but certainly uh, how did Sarah, Sarah Palin and what has happened with her over the last few years play into all of this? And the reason that I ask that is as many times I've asked people in your position, what do you think is going to happen next? The pendulum has obviously fa- uh, swung this far. Will it keep going? Will people realize this is what we need in order to be heard? Or will it come back towards the center? Was Sarah Palin sort of, sort of the first car to go off the rails here? I won't say off the rails. It introduced an element into the regular campaigning that we haven't seen. We shouldn't over. Uh, we shouldn't say it's always been kind of smooth between center left, center right. You know, George Wallace, uh, 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 an arch segregationist, carried Michigan, a, a northern state. So, hmm. uh, third as a third party candidate. So we've had disruptive elements within normal elections for a very long time. But Sarah Palin in a sense, opened the door to what we see a lot more of in this election, which is voices and a sense of grievance and a sense of, of this country's been taken away from us and we're going to take it back. And also more of the far alt-right that Donald Trump then uh, sensed correctly would be a possible path to the presidency. The protest vote. How do we answer the protest vote without ending, ending up where we are? <laughs> Or in Trump land? We've got um, some big picture questions here. Uh, is this a realigning election? Well, it's certainly possible because now we have what used to be the Democratic core, that is the working blue collar uh, across America solid base for the Democrats, is now voting as the core, the core of, <laughs> of the Trump supporters. And we have Typically, the, the most solid voting bloc in America are affluent whites, and they have historically, for the last oh, 30 years, been solid, rock-solid Republicans, and they are now the edge for Hillary Clinton. Are we seeing a, a realigning convention? Are we going to see a whole new kind of hmm. set of coalitions come out of this? We, we've seen, of course, the demographic shifts, and those are predictable, but they're kind of hiving off and it may be alternating of who votes for whom. A realigning convention is one big question, I think, for this election. But we have a lot of other big questions. Uh, the future of the U.S., let's start with the political parties themselves, not just realigning, because that's a big question. But an almost bigger question is, can either of these two parties coalesce again as effective instruments of managing governance. Hmm. The Democrats will have internal pressures, no question about it. The Democratic platform is clearly much more, let's say, progressive as a result of the Bernie Sanders campaign tapping into a lot of the same sentiment that the Trump people did. They're different constituencies, different people, but the sense that something's wrong and we're not being listened to and we have to fix it and nobody's paying attention in the establishment. 
So the anti-establishment, we, you have to pay attention to his vote is there. So that tension inside the Democrats will be there, but that's not unusual for that party. Let's look at the Republicans, uh, Scott. Can this party cohere as a party in any effective way in the future? The Tea Party phenomenon had already thoroughly disrupted it to the point of getting rid of John Boehner, who was certainly no uh, centrist. Uh, that party as a whole has been dragged to the right. But what happens to this party when the wrecking ball of Donald Trump comes along yeah. and takes what can only be called an ossified political structure for the Republicans and knocks the heck out of it? So where does that leave the future of conservatism? I think that there's a struggle for the future of conservatism and within the organized political parties that we know of. Uh, is the alt-right a conservative movement? Well, the conservatives don't like Donald Trump. They don't see him as a conservative. Yeah. Uh, are conspiracy theorists really going to move to the center of American politics? The signs are not good on this. I, I've been dismayed. Well, let's put it this way. Uh, will the Republicans learn certain lessons? The last time they got defeated, they said, we've learned our lesson. Mm. They had an internal review, formal review. It came out with saying, we have to be a more inclusive party. We have to reach out to others. We have to expand beyond our core. Take a look at what, and, and then, <laughs> Obama, uh, they successfully actually took on the Obama presidency and said our only purpose here is to gut the presidency of, of the Obamas, uh, Democrats. Uh, they stymied him just by saying no to everything. Yeah, yeah. And out of sight of the public, they just refused to confirm all kinds of appointments inside the U.S. government. So they successfully met, actually, in a formal meeting uh, the day that Obama was being inaugurated and said, we're, we're going to just vote no on everything, and it worked as a tactic. Will the wrecking ball of, of a Trump presidency uh, or candidacy, uh, assuming he loses, which is not certain at all, will that make them think hard about, do we want to create dysfunction in Washington as a permanent fixture? Right. Because the outside world then, you know, we set the table for a Donald Trump. We just didn't think Donald Trump would be the one to show up. And, and you know what? You hit the nail right on the head. And I don't think the average Joe and Jane American are looking at it, obviously, into the depth that we are. They're just tired of the gridlock. They're right. just trying, they're just tired of being the collateral damage here. And they're willing to drive it into the ditch just to sort of, to prove it to other politicians that, hey, we're in control here and, and we can at any point drive it into the ditch. So what are you giving us here? What are you giving us? And that's a lot of the appeal of Donald Trump. Uh, yeah. That the Republicans created a dysfunction they thought they would then, you know, benefit from. Yeah. But if the party itself, <laughs> now, and the signs on this are not good. Uh, we've already heard that the, a key senator has said that they plan to, he's got two years worth of litigation uh, to tie up the new president. If, if it's Hillary Clinton, uh, they have hearings all planned. And the, the word impeachment is being used, even though there's nothing yeah. he's done to, to impeach. And beyond that, now we have Ted Cruz, who was the runner-up in that party. That political party had three runner-ups, Donald Trump, Ted Cruz, and this likable uh, Rubio, who mm -hmm. was actually elected as a Tea Party candidate. <laughs> That's the party. And uh, Ted Cruz has said, we're not going to even look at, we are not going to perform our constitutional duty to examine judicial nominees for the Supreme Court, we're going to keep that court at four and four. So they are threatening uh, to, 
to really tie up the presidency of Hillary Clinton if she's the one elected. And that's exactly what everyone is looking for, isn't it? I mean, um, you know, it it seemed over the last several decades we've been trying to come together, not only as countries, but as as a global village. Now it seems we're a world of extremes. Where, uh, where the politics is extremely left or extremely right, it's this or it's that. There's no, there's no middle anymore, it seems. The, there's implications here for, uh, unfortunately, continuance of that uh, in more than one way. These two parties clearly are polarized. There's a lot of people who are going to say a pox on both of your houses and just turn off politics and turn against politicians. Uh, but beyond that, <laughs> if you look at the Republicans, the chances are that if Republicans lose seats in the House and in the Senate, it's the more moderate wing of what's left of a party that was center-right. Center mm-hmm. But the remaining people are going to be even more polarized. That is, the, the harder right element of the Republican Party seems to be the uh, remaining Republicans after this election, as things look today. So on the Democrat side, they're just a big mass coalition traditional party uh, bringing together a variety of interests, and can they make a coherent platform out of, out of that? So the signs are not good that the Republican Party will be reflective, will be effective in reshaping itself, will become a coherent center-right alternative to a center-left government. Hmm. How do you think Americans are feeling today, the day before this? Dispirited, uh, largely, and I think for the reasons we've just been discussing, Obviously, for the, for the partisans of Hillary Clinton, they're feeling hopeful, and they'll be very disappointed if she doesn't win. For the partisans of Donald Trump, they're feeling this is our, our chance, finally, and, uh, but we really hate the other side. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's not an edifying moment in American politics. Nobody ever thought any of this would ever get this far, Elliot. Can you possibly predict an outcome at this point, even though yeah, I mean, we've just had reports on the news uh, less within the last half hour saying in order for Donald to win, he'd have to completely run the tables, blah, 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 blah. No. Uh, that being said, um, did anybody ever thought it would think it would get this far? Well, two things. First, uh, <laughs> he's counting on two things. One is voter suppression. And we didn't talk about this talking about the Republicans, but one reason they're so entrenched is that Republican legislatures have gerrymandered, particularly across the South, to solidly safe and only Republican seats, and Democrats would if they could. But what we have now is voter suppression legislative. So a lot of the people that uh, the Democrats count on, uh, the legislatures across the South have said, well, you can't really get to the polls very easily. So deliberate attempts to suppress the vote combined with deliberate attempts by both parties to suppress the opposite party's base. But the the Trump hope lies in this. They have suppressed enough of the vote that might have gone to Hillary, and on the other side, there's a silent majority, reintroducing a term we haven't heard in a little while, there's a silent majority that's going to show up. And uh, in terms of the polls, a good pollster has said, well, Trump has about as much chance of taking the presidency as the Chicago, Chicago Cubs have of winning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there you go right there. There's a fresh example for all of us. <laughs> My goodness. Um, uh, do you want to make a prediction here? What do you think? Yeah, the way it looks today is, uh, keep in mind, you know, there is a hope for the, for the Trump people. 
there is a path. Uh, it isn't just this wiggly-jiggly. Uh, there may be a silent majority that will combine with voter suppression. But the way it looks today is this. Uh, the interventions by the uh, Russians and by the FBI have blunted the momentum of Hillary Clinton to keep her from getting a giant uh, wave election. Mm. It has reduced the possibility that the Democrats will take the Senate, or it'll reduce the possibility they'll have a decent working majority in the Senate. It has reduced the possibility the Democrats could threaten the House, uh, which wasn't too likely, but it's likely to keep the House even more solidly Republican, but she's likely to come across the line. What have we all learned from this, whether it's uh, people from around the world watching, because lots have been watching from, from uh, outside the borders of the United States. Will, 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 will after this is all over, this time next week, will we all sit here and, you know what, we, we've got to learn something from this. Will we? Well, there's a few things we should learn. One is what I've been calling, this is the day of the dispossessed. Uh, <laughs> the revenge of the masses. Uh, we should have learned from the Brexit vote and, and the rise of populist parties all across Europe that it can happen in the United States. So we have the same phenomenon that has fueled Trump's rise is not an uncommon one. A reaction to globalization, a reaction to changing demographics, to people being left behind. And we need policies. And Theresa May is in, in the U.K. right after Brexit has, has said, that's what I'm going to do. We need policies for the people who were, in a sense, left behind and are left out or feel they're, they're left out. So that's one big lesson. Policy choices have to be made and delivered on and implemented. And that will, by the way, take the, a cooperative approach between a Congress and a president. So that's, I think, a big-ticket item. The second thing, and this is even uh, a bigger question, is what's the future of the United States? Hmm. Because I was asked right after the third debate, uh, who won the debate? And I said, well, it's China. <laughs> because what we see here is looking globally, looking ahead, is the U.S. is going to have to manage its transition from being the only superpower to being one large, the most important power, but in a multipolar world. So we need effective management of that. And there are forces out there, an emergent China, a resurgent Russia, forces that don't wish the U.S. well but wish them harm, who all look at what you and I are talking about in the States and saying, you know, this country is not getting its act together in face of the challenge that we mm. are posing. Uh, the Chinese, you know, are famous for taking the long view. They put their, their, their pieces in place, you know, pick up an island here or there in the South China Sea, etc., and uh, manage their own economy well and, and manage the relationship with the United States in a way that eventually pushes them out of the Asia-Pacific and it lets China emerge to what they see as their rightful place, etc. And they can only be looking at this and saying, we thought this was going to take you know, 100 years. Wow. And now look at this. This mm. is an opportunity. The whole pace of change is accelerating in the face of an America that doesn't seem to be able to get its act together, as you and I are talking about it, look at what's happening there. Uh, we've only got a couple minutes left. Uh, the day after. So if uh, Trump wins, what's the day after like? Uh, I think a lot of Americans will want to move to Canada, so we should have our, <laughs> our offices already. <laughs> clean, that, clean up the spare room. <laughs> yeah, Airbnb may do a lot of business. So I think the, there's going to be 
uh, shock. The stock market, for example, in the United States has gone up because <laughs> because the Republican nominee looks like he's going to lose, which is a bizarre statement to make. Mm. But if Trump does win, and he can, not too likely, but, but he can, then uh, Canada, let's talk about us for a minute, has great reason to be concerned because he's talked about ripping up NAFTA, which is a cornerstone of a lot of our prosperity. Clearly isolationist and protectionist uh, will probably kick off a, a trade war with China. And once you get into trade wars globally, that will affect. We are a trading nation, and uh, we've been talking about this with the EU CETA treaty. So it's definitely going to impact the world, and Canada has every reason to be concerned about a resurgent America under the kind of leadership and vision that Donald Trump so far has outlined. So if Hillary is declared the winner, will he accept that, or will he uh, keep us all in suspended animation? Well, we don't... <laughs> Go ahead and predict Donald Trump. Uh, this is... We don't know. My hope is this, that when it's all over, he's going to say, folks, I tried. I wanted to offer leadership. It's been fun. I wish her well. I'm going back to run my business empire. Mm. On the other hand, he could say, I've built a movement and I continue to lead it, and I really love those rallies. And uh, Trump TV is going to be launched, and I'll have a whole new career. <laughs> so is he going to lead, in effect, a, a, an opposition movement uh, after the election? Undermining the institutions of the elections, uh, democracy is under threat in that, in that case. Yeah. It could well be he won't want to go that far, but we don't know. Elliot Tepper has been with us, Emeritus Professor of Political Science, Carleton University. Elliot, thanks for the time and insight. Much appreciated. I hope to chat again. Certainly, Scott. It's been uh, quite a race to watch. I know. We'll, we'll talk when it's all over. Oh, Thank not. you. You're listening to The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML. All right, Global News reporting only a quarter of decided voters would vote for the Ontario Liberals if there was a, pro a provincial election uh, held today. The survey conducted by Main Street Post Media shows only 25% of decided voters would vote for Kathleen Wynne. Uh, the Liberals, uh, well, 43% would choose Kathleen Bra or, sorry, Patrick Brown's Progressive Conservatives, 27% uh, the Ontario NDP. Wynne's approval rating is the lowest amongst the provincial leaders at just 15%, far behind NDP leader Andrea Horvath at 59% and Brown at 51%. There is very little good news for the current government, they say, and it may get uh, worse as the effects of the recent charges against the Ontario Liberal Party staff and operatives continue to dominate the headlines, says the uh, president who ran the poll. To talk more about all of this, Barry Kay is with us, political science professor, Wilfrid Laurier University and is with us now. Hello, Barry. How are you today? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Thanks for taking the time to join us, Barry. We always appreciate it. How serious is this? Is, is this a turning point uh, in this liberal, uh, liberal government? Well, it's certainly bad news. It's no more turning point than the previous poll, which wasn't far off of this one. Uh, no, I understand that it's topical, so in fact you're relating it now. Look, the, the next election is, isn't scheduled for another two years. There will be two years, I guess, last June, so a little less than two years. Um, when and the Liberals are going to have to do something to turn it around, and they know that. Um, I'm not sure just what it is they're going to do with regard to policy. Um, because the fact that they've been in power, the Liberals themselves, not, not when her, well, her, uh, her alone, but the Liberals have been in power now for 15 years. It really is time for a change. Frequently we think of two terms is, is sufficient, and then you, uh, you rotate into somebody else. 
Uh, and the, it's quite possible that she's not going to be able to turn it around. The question, though, is to whether or not she should leave now. I think she's probably got another year or so. I think at that point, if the numbers, let us say, by the, the summer of 2017, look what they look like they, they do at the moment, I think there probably will be some pressure internally because the liberals aren't fools. They want to, uh, to do as well, and they want to hold as many seats as they can. can I'm sure that it, it, it may be too late for them to stay in power for what would effectively be almost a 20-year run. But I think there's a good chance that something will happen. I don't just don't think that time is yet. Can this party survive another election with the same leader? Or will we see like what happened with Dalton McGuinty? Is, is that the only way they could possibly do this, do you think? Well, McGuinty actually left because he was in a minority situation. Mm-hmm. I think if he had another seat or so more, if he'd won that by-election in, in Waterloo, um, in fact, I think he probably would have tried to hang on. He could read the handwriting on the wall. Um, with regard to, um, to Kathleen Wynne, uh, I don't think she's a fool, I think, and even if she is, I think there are people around her who will put pressure on her. Your question was whether or not this was the critical time, and I guess what I'm saying is that they've got the better part of another year, maybe not quite a year, but it's certainly another um, eight or nine months. I think by the summer of, um, of next year, uh, that if um, the numbers look like they do now, now they, she doesn't have to be even with the conservatives. She has to be trending upward. I, I don't expect her to uh, to be ahead of the uh, conservatives a year from now. That but, being said, Barry, uh, you, you know, there still is, as you mentioned, a couple of years left. Would they be best to keep her in, let her sort of take the hits for the party, that you know, bad news that's coming anyway, perhaps, and then as we get closer to the election, grab a new leader? Well... I think that probably is what's going to happen. It's just that it's a little bit off in terms of time. Look, even with a new leader, that doesn't necessarily make certain that the uh, the liberals will stay in power. Frankly, it probably is time for a change. Um, at the moment, it looks not like, in fact, the conservatives wouldn't just win. They'd win a pretty smashing a majority with something like, a, I guess, an 18-point lead over the liberals. The NDP vote hasn't fallen much from last time, but hasn't gone up either. So it's not likely that they, they might hold some of the seats they have now, but they're not likely to be in a position. And I think they would still do okay in the Hamilton area. But it's not likely that they would be a, a credible th- alternative at the moment. Now, maybe uh, Brown, the, as we get closer to the next election, there's going to be more attention on Brown. There's some by-elections coming up shortly, and in fact the conservatives are probably poised to win them just as they won that Scarborough uh, Scarborough uh, by-election not so very long ago. At some point, I think we are going to start seeing more critical attention of Brown, more awareness of him as an alternative. And that may reverberate to the liberals' favor. But look, uh, quite clearly, uh, the, the liberals under, under Kathleen Wynne have to come up with something new. They aren't going to win the next election in, uh, on integrity. They're going to have to come up with some policy ideas that are different. Um, the last time out, it was supposed to be the, um, the Ontario pension. That's kind of gotten superseded by, by you know, federal, federal plans. Uh, they've got to come up with some sort of policy alternative, or, they, or it will be time for a change. A year from now, or almost a year from now, let's say next summer, I think there will be people around Kathleen Wynne that if the numbers look anything like this, that will suggest it's time for her to go. And then the interesting question is what kind of liberal policy and what kind of uh, liberal politician might uh, might replace her a so lot of it's, it's a very legitimate question i just i think she's still got a few months before she has to make a decision or the people around her are likely to push her out a lot of people uh, st- are very upset and, and the momentum seems to be growing in regard to the electricity file uh h- how do you somehow repackage that and would they make perhaps her the scapegoat on that since you know she pretty much owns that uh and, and then and then use a new leader to change direction on that um 
that could be part of, I mean, that alone isn't going to win it for the liberals. Just, just putting in a new face is going to have to be a kind of a, a new direction, a new policy, perhaps, or certainly a, a new image. Actually, I'm kind of surprised that, in fact, things fell as quickly as they did for Kathleen Wynne. But certainly since the, uh, the, the, provincial, uh, the last provincial election, and that was just two years ago, uh, that the um, that things just haven't gone as favorably as they might. I'm not, I, I don't. I've been surprised how quickly she has fallen. Uh, you're right about the electric, uh, the electricity rates. That's a real problem. And indeed, I think what the the liberals are going to have to do is distract people. And I, I don't have a, a, a silver bullet on this. I don't have a policy to suggest that's going to answer uh, mm-hmm. what the questions are going to be. I guess I'm just saying that she's got. A, a few more months, at least eight or nine months, before that decision is going to have to be made. If the numbers by next summer look like they do now, I think there'll be a lot of pressure on her to go. Um, and I, but I don't think it will t- be just a new leader that's going to save it for the liberals. I think they're going to have to have some policy ideas as well that are going to be able to distract people. I'm not sure what they're going to be able to do to fix up the electricity issue, I, but I do think that they're going to try and have, have some of their brighter minds try to come up with some other policy ideas to throw as an alternative. And part of it may, in fact, be trying to scare people uh, with, with Brown's mm-hmm. history. He's kind of trying to move away from it now, but history is a social conservative. I think he's mindful of that, and the, that, that has been his roots, and there's still certainly social conservative elements within the party. But in another election, not one that might not be led by, um, by Kathleen Wynne, but uh, by a new leader to, in fact, suggest that... Uh, uh, Brown is just too extreme and too far right for the province of Ontario. What but did we're, go? We're, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. That's not where we are now. But come a new leader, come if the polls look like this next summer. That's the kind of thing you're going to start hearing about. You brought up a valid point, Barry. What did go wrong? I mean, here you're talking about a majority government. Uh, even though it, you know m- many said it was the same old car with a new coat of paint, it simply it, it still had a fresh feel to it. W- what do you think did? push it off the rails. And, and again, I keep coming back to the electricity file, at least that's what I keep hearing. Oh, that's, that's a, a pocketbook issue that people can relate to. Um, yeah. Kathleen Wynne, at the time, she was fairly new when she, um, at the time of the election, and the election had kind of been imposed upon her, that in fact the, you know, the NDP kind of triggered it by uh, withdrawing support. At that particular time, she did seem like she was on the left side of the party. She would represent authenticity and sort of a, uh, a face sympathetic to the interests of, of the, the, the disadvantaged, the less establishment interests in the province of Ontario. But the old kind of corruption issues, the, uh, the, the power structure of the Liberal Party, as shown by the, the, you know, this recent indictment, but uh, as shown mm. in other kinds of ways, in terms of the publicity about the amount of money that was being raised by cabinet ministers, all of those sorts of things just smacked of the old politics. Instead of being the fresh face on an old party, which she was presented as back at the time of the election, it ended up being that she was just more more of the same, at least with regard to uh, partisan uh, partisan politics and, uh, and and favored interests, and um, that just doesn't resonate. I think a lot of things could yet happen, um, I, and the only for, for hard prediction I'm making, I guess I'm being a little evasive. The only hard prediction I'm making is that she's got, as I say, maybe eight nine months or a little bit more to to turn it around. Without that, I think the uh, the smart move will be, and there will be people around her saying the time has come to, to go. But a, a new face isn't all that the Liberals are going to have to do. They're going to have to come up with some other policies as well. And I, uh, with regard to electricity, I think they're going to probably just try to distract people with some, some other new benefit or some other new kind of uh, spending program that hopefully will appeal to people and make them forget a little bit about the electricity cost. Uh, obviously, bribery charges now coming up in regard to the Sudbury by-election. Uh, Wins former uh, deputy involved in all of this. Does this resonate with voters? Is this just another scandal to them? Does it, does it resonate? I'm not even sure this resonates as much if to, to the average voter as a high electricity bill does. Uh, maybe not. 
uh, when you've been around for 15 years as an administration, though, I, I think it just smacks of old-style politics. Yeah. And, um, uh, I don't even think that, look, the, she had the problem even before this. That, so it isn't just this particular issue. Electricity surely is, is part of it. Um, I just don't have a, a, an easy solution to suggest how they fix the electricity cost. And that's why I was suggesting that the smart move would be to try to come up with some new idea that I can't think of it myself in terms of trying to, to distract people. It may be that, and come, because the election won't be until probably June of, of, of 18, that in fact, that they that win possibly, but quite possibly a new leader will perhaps try to go with, again, a new, uh, new uh, layer of paint on her. On, uh, will try, in fact, focus on the conservatives as being too extreme. It may, in fact, be assisted. I'm not sure this is going to happen. But it's been interesting in the federal conservative leadership contest that there's been a lot of uh, talk about um, uh, candidates like Kelly Leach, who in fact um, seem to be quite hostile to immigration. It may be that the liberals might be able to try and tar Brown and the conservatives at that time with the new liberal federal leader. I'm not sure this is all going to happen. I'm just speculating about things that might unfold down the road. But again, if, if the, the, the policy and the programs and the image of your government isn't very very positive, a new leader might very well be up, up trying to appeal to the voters in that next campaign by suggesting that the conservatives are even worse and they're out of the political mainstream. And of course, that's why Brown is feeling very compromised by, I forget the name of the person, but this mm -hmm. new young candidate in the, uh, the Niagara West by-election, mm -hmm. Jack's old seat, who in fact is very much running on a social conservative platform. Um, if that was widespread, and I don't think it is, that's an unusual writing and it's an unusual candidate. But if that kind of thing was widespread, if Brown is not able to distance himself from that, that's clearly a, a very obvious avenue for the liberals to try to pursue at that time. But again, I'm, I'm nesting assumption upon assumption at the moment. I'm not quite sure how this is all going to play out. Uh, but, you know, again, the one thing, just to repeat, is that, um, uh, that uh, she cannot sustain her leadership um, a year from now with the kind of numbers we're seeing at the moment. Did she take the party too far left? I mean, you know, obviously uh, t totally derailing the NDP and, and, and obviously concerned about any momentum they have uh, might have been getting. Will the new leader or will a new leader bring this party more to the center? It almost seems like politics is a land of extremes now. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Frankly, I, w I found it appealing <laughs> to her, her, her gesture to the left at the time of the election. Um, uh, I, I, th I thought it was one of her strengths. Uh, but before very long, we kind of got back to just tired old liberal policies and tired old liberal styles of, of again, there have been certainly um, scandals in the past, like with regard to the mm -hmm. power projects that, um, that they should have been punished for and then weren't as punished as they might have been because Dalton McGinty got out and was replaced. Uh, I'm not sure that the problem is really that she's too far left. Um, uh, you know, others can perhaps comment uh, upon that. But um, I think it's that she was she did sort of devolve into the pattern of uh, same old, same old, and, and tired, uh, tired of style of government, apart from the actual policies that, that emerged. Um, I have not seen polling data to, to sort of put a finger on any given policy, other than obviously the, uh, the unpopularity of the, uh, you know, the, what, the decisions that led to the, the increase in energy prices. With her moving to the left, where does that leave the NDP? I mean, obviously with numbers like we, we've seen uh, this week, this is encouraging for uh, both opposition parties. Is this an opportunity for the NDP? How do they take advantage of it this? It might. Uh, sometimes we get into a dynamic situation where, in fact, um, if the incumbent party is unpopular enough, their vote may splinter in different directions. I might cite the, the federal election. Now, if we remember, uh, in less than six weeks before the last year's federal election took place, 
the liberals were actually running third. I'm not talking about Trudeau's liberals now. And the NDP was first. And there were events and there was a dynamic within that particular election campaign that caused people to start moving. And people who were unhappy and ready for a change from the, from the, um, the Harper government, which the NDP thought they were positioned, because they were actually ahead for a while in the polls, uh, that the NDP thought they might have a chance to, to actually form the government, not necessarily a majority government, but form the government itself. But because of, of things that occurred, some things that seemed to be totally unrelated to any of this, like the NECOB issue in Quebec, nonetheless, that NDP vote started to dissolve and move toward the Liberals. Now, to apply this provincially, could such a thing occur provincially? Quite possibly. If the Liberals are sufficiently unpopular, and if, in fact, there is the uh, a targeting of the Conservatives under Brown as being too far right-wing, might Horvath, I'm not, I mean, Horvath has had a chance, I think she's respected, but she has not been able to to expand the party base all that dramatically. And, in mm-hmm. fact, the polls right now show that the NDP is pretty much where they were at the last provincial election. But could a dynamic occur that the liberals are rejected and that many of those liberal voters might then move toward the NDP? Quite possibly. In that case, I don't think it would be so much ideological extremism on the part of the NDP that would win votes, but rather that they would just be seen as a more plausible alternative for moderates to a, a, a more conservative government under Brown. Now, again, we're, we're talking about all sorts of assumptions, which uh, many of which probably won't occur at all. Uh, but I, I don't think Horvath is going anywhere. I think she's not likely to be challenged within her own party. The NDP doesn't tend to eat its leaders that regularly, although I guess they did hmm. care federally. Uh, yeah, so a lot of interesting things could happen in the three-party dynamic that we have at the moment. A lot of it, though, will depend on, because I don't think the, uh, I don't think wind's going anywhere until at least next summer. All right, and Barry, they, I've got you on the line here for another minute, so I can't let you go without asking you as we head into the final 24 hours of the U.S. election and all that it's been and its pomp and circumstance, what can Canadians learn from this experience? Oh, well, just, just the, uh, the, the, hopefully, the concern about extremism. Um, look, um, I do expect, I think we've talked about this before, I do expect Hillary Clinton to prevail at the end of, the, uh, of tomorrow night. I think it's going to be close. But the uh, Republicans are, like, are certainly going to control the House of Representatives and quite possibly the Senate. Uh, American politics is not getting better. If anything, it's getting worse. If Trump should be elected, it would be much worse. Um, um, the American political system, unlike the, the system that we have in Canada, uh, the American political system was designed to be based on compromise. That's what checks and balances and separation of powers is to mean, that different groups are, are supposed to work together. The problem with American politics is everybody's sort of moving to their, it, it's become very tribal, they're moving to the extremes and aren't prepared to work together. And even if Hillary Clinton wins the next election, as I hope she does, that indeed I'm not at all optimistic that things are going to get a whole lot better. The Republicans are already talking about the fact that they may not even allow um, the Supreme Court vacancy to be filled. Yeah. So I'm, I, I think we're in for dire times. In Canada, we should at least be happy with the fact that our political culture is much more moderate and less likely to embrace extreme elements as we're seeing in the States. Barry Kay has been with us, political science professor at Wilfrid Laurier University. Barry, as always, thanks for the time, and I'm sure we'll chat later on this week. Happy to talk to you. Thank you. The Scott Thompson Show, weekdays from noon to 3 on AM 900 CHML.